All right, so Matthew chapter 9 is where we are tonight. And again, I would say we're going to look at some uh, pretty familiar verses of scripture here in Matthew chapter 9. But one of the things we're going to do tonight is I think uh, uh, the perspective we'll take as we look at these verses in Matthew chapter 9, uh, I think they will really encourage you. And I think they will give you some, and I use this word very carefully, I think they will give you some hope. Because especially in a should we just call it a post-COVID world and the weirdness uh, that has descended upon our culture, oftentimes then, and maybe it was, it's affected your church, it's affected just about every church, I think, that I preached in, is that, um, you know, you want to, uh, you, you know, you need to get the gospel out, but things have changed. Even in the last um, decade, just even our culture in the last decade, you know, um, uh, less and less people answer the door uh, when you knock on it. And, uh, you know, now with COVID, you know, sometimes you're scared. Do they want to touch a track that I've just touched? And, and we get a lot of weirdness and, and ideas that just kind of discourage us to think, okay, oh, what good is it now giving the gospel? Let me help you tonight because I think Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is really going to encourage us here. Okay, so Matthew chapter 9, verse number 35 says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Three different times in those last two verses we saw a word. Three times you heard harvest, harvest, harvest. Tonight I want to bring you a message entitled The Hope of the Harvest. Uh, maybe some of you have heard of an evangelist, again, uh, of a, a man by the name of D.L. Moody. Dwight Moody uh, was a very famous evangelist here in the United States, uh, probably one of the, may, possibly the most famous. He was especially known, D.L. Moody was, uh, maybe, maybe if you're like me, I like a guy who when he preaches, he keeps stuff really simple. I strive to do my best to do that. Uh, but a guy who can keep stuff really simple, just keeps it on the, low, the bottom shelf and just makes it something where I... I can understand it and where I know what God wants me to do. D.L. Moody was that kind of a preacher. Dwight Moody saw all kinds of people saved all across the United States. And uh, people would just pack out rooms and, and uh, massive places hearing Dwight Moody preach. And uh, there was a man who was interviewing D.L. Moody in his office. And he asked him this question because there were other good preachers out there in those days. And he asked D.L. Moody, Mr. Moody, why is it that so many people follow you and not other preachers? What's the difference? And um, instead of directly answering, D.L. Moody uh, stood up, went to the back of his office, went to the window, brought the man over and said, look out the window, tell me what you see. Okay, so the man goes to the window and he's looking out and he says, well, I see, uh, I see a man in a business suit. I see a, a woman with her child and I see children at play. You know, you know those moments when you just know, this is a trick question. You're gonna sh and I'm about to get it wrong, aren't I? And, um, and so he said, well, that's what I see. And D.L. Moody said, no, you didn't see them right. He said, those are not just people out there. He said, those are lost souls. And when D.L. Moody 
would look at humanity, he saw people in deep need. You know, when we look at humanity, usually we go, ew. And we say, wow, you know, I'm embarrassed to be a part of the human race. Is there like another planet or a species somewhere else where, where normal people could go live? And we look at humanity and we just think, ew, this is just uh, disgusting. But when, when Dio Moody looked on the multitudes... He was like Jesus. He was moved with compassion on them. Now, uh, here in Matthew chapter 9, and in verse number 35, I like how uh, we start in verse 35, how Jesus says he went all about all the cities and the villages. He was teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. One of the things about Matthew chapter 9 is if you want to read a chapter where there's all kinds of miracles, you want to read about the miracles Jesus did, Matthew 9 is a great place to land. It's in Matthew chapter 9 that you can read about the man who was sick of the palsy and uh, was healed. This is the chapter where the woman who had that issue of blood for 12 years was healed by Jesus. This is the chapter you can read about uh, the ruler's daughter who was raised from the dead. Uh, this is the chapter where you can read about Jesus healing two blind men. This is the chapter where Jesus talks about, uh, Matthew talks about how Jesus cast out uh, the devil out of a man that was made mute because of this devil. And, and it's almost like, it's almost like Matthew is telling us about, he says, hey, I want to tell you this story about the woman with the issue of blood. Now, you know what, let me tell you about then Jesus, oh my goodness, he goes over here and he's healing the ruler's daughter. And oh my goodness, and oh, and I remember how Jesus was healing these two blind men. And he gets to verse 35, and it's almost like the gospel writer just says, you know what? He was just healing a whole bunch of people, okay? And, uh, he, and he says he was going about, he was healing people of all kinds of diseases and such. And he was working hard, teaching and preaching. But you know, the people, at least at this point, were more viewing him as... This is the guy that can take away our diseases and can heal us of our physical problems. Which, by the way, Jesus did not mind healing people's physical problems. Jesus took pity and, uh, and loved to heal people's physical problems. But Jesus knew, as I think we would be safe to say, I hope you know as well, is that the greatest need that someone would have is not just uh, their physical needs, but it is their spiritual needs. And Jesus saw the people in their lost condition. Verse number 36 says, when he saw the multitudes, when Jesus looked on a crowd of people, verse 36 says, he was moved with compassion on them. What does that mean? When it says he was moved with compassion, the word moved, uh, the, word, the word compassion kind of has the, word, the idea of the word pity. And the word uh, moved has the idea of almost having like this inner gut turning and feeling that would move you towards pity on something. You ever had that kind of feeling happen? Some of you possibly had. Have any of you, let me ask this question. I love asking this at this point. Um, have any of you had the, um, I don't know, what do you call it? A mispleasure, not a pleasure. But have you ever had the non-pleasure of just trying to watch some TV? Just trying to enjoy it. And, uh, you know, of course, commercials ruin just about anything. But uh, th there's that commercial that comes on. 
And you know, it starts really soft and sad, and they show you a picture of some dog that is shaking like this, and they start that awful song that in the arms of the angels, and they start, <laughs> and they show you all these dogs shaking, and uh, how many of you ever had that happen to you? You ever had to see the, yeah, come on, there's more of you than that. Okay, yeah, yeah, you've seen those. And, uh, and so you start seeing these pictures, uh, you know, these video clips of these dogs that are shaking, some that are super thin, and, uh, and, uh, and then uh, and they start playing that stupid song, you know, in the arms of the angel. Sorry if you like it. It's just not my kind of song. And, uh, and, uh, and so they start playing this and, and then, you know, that person gets on there and they start talking about how if something is not done, these animals are going to die. And, uh, and if you don't, uh, you can give, you know, like $22 a month. And if you don't, it'll be your fault. You know, and you're like, oh, come on. You know, it's, you know, there's got to be some other kind of option out there, you know, other than me. And, you know, the set, and so what they're doing is they're trying to work at your pity. They want you to feel a pity upon these animals and give some of your hard-earned money to help out these animals. Now, is it not ironic? Now, how many, how many of you have noticed this? Whenever you see this, uh, you know, the please give money so that all these shaking animals can have shelter and food, isn't it ironic that it's usually often either right before or right after a commercial for St. Jude's Hospital? Has anyone else noticed that? That that is hap- that uh, I've noticed that it seems like uh, often that it comes either right before it or right after it. And uh, and you know, kind of the same thing. A much more worthy cause. St. Jude's Hospital will put out an advertisement, and then and you see these little you know four year olds that are bald because they're fighting for their lives to fight off cancer. And, um, and these moms that say, you know, my child was here and probably my child cost, you know, probably, a, you know, over a million dollars and yet St. Jude's Hospital paid for it all. And then, of course, what's the plea at the end? They say, won't you please consider, oftentimes it's, will you not give, you know, $22 a month so that these children can survive? Which is kind of ironic. It's like, really, which, I mean, granted, I have a dog and I love my dog, but dog does not get the same place as, you know, some child is struggling with cancer. But the point of both of those commercials is this, is that they want to grab at your heartstrings and they want to invoke pity within you when you look on an animal that is just suffering and dying or when you look upon a child that is suffering and dying there ought to be some pity that goes on inside of your heart that pity feeling deep down in your stomach you know what Jesus says when he looked on the multitudes and saw a crowd of people that were not saved it said that it invoked pity in him In other words, he went through the same emotions that maybe you've seen when you watch, you know, a child on the St. Jude's Hospital um, commercial and that aching pity that goes inside of you that thinks, oh my goodness, can something not be done? That was how Jesus felt when he looked on the multitudes that were fast running in their sins, running away from God and running towards a fiery destruction in hell. That's how Jesus 
saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion on them because he says they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You know, sheep have no sense of direction. They need a shepherd. And at that time, especially there were religious leaders, the Pharisees amongst others, that were convincing the people that, you know, uh, Jesus was, you know, he's not who he says he is, that he's a false prophet. He's, you know, he's not who he says he is. And, uh, and so you've got false teachers working against him, trying to lead people down the road to, to destruction in hell and Jesus sees all this and he is moved with compassion and he teaches his disciples a very important lesson here at the end of Matthew chapter 9 he says and uh, then saith he in verse number 37 unto his disciples and he begins to address something like I said right before prayer he talked three times Jesus mentions a word harvest 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 And tonight, friend, I want us to see, I want you to see three truths tonight about unsaved people around us that I hope really should excite you about witnessing and really give you a hope that people are still out there who need and are ready to be saved. So if you would, first of all, let's let's catch a hold of this. First of all, number one tonight is I want you to see the opportunity of the harvest. The opportunity of the harvest. Verse number 37, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. Now, let's start first and understand this. What is, when Jesus talks about harvest, what is the harvest? Now, uh, you know, the word, the very word harvest could kind of mean two different things. You got, um, uh, you could, you know, sometimes people use harvest to refer to a time period. You know, instead of saying uh, it's fall time or it's autumn time, sometimes people will just say it's harvest time. You know, sometimes you see that. Um, But I don't think when Jesus says, uh, uh, is talking about harvest here, I don't think he's talking about a time period. Rather, what he is probably more likely talking about is he is talking about the actual crop that you and I would call harvest. You know, uh, when the fall is coming around, you know, do not and for some crops, it's earlier or later, you know. Um, but, you know, especially when fall time comes around, what's a, uh, a common word on the farmer's lips? Well, I gotta, some might say I, get the, I gotta get the crops in, but some will say, I gotta get the harvest in. I got to get the harvest in. And so, and so harvest here in verse number 36 and 37 is referring to the actual crop. Now, as Jesus is using this analogy, of course, the harvest is a reference uh, to people who do not know the Lord as their Savior. It's a reference to people who are not saved. But realize this, folks. You know, Jesus and, and throughout other portions of the Scripture, like to, they like to use the analogy of um, of uh, of uh, you know farming to illustrate how God works in people's lives to bring them to salvation. You know, we talk about how sometimes we sow. Right? Sometimes we're just sowing the seed. That just simply means, um, you know, we're planting for the first time. Someone is getting to hear the gospel for the first time. So sometimes we sow. Sometimes we water. You know, that means you just kind of, uh, someone, someone has already heard the gospel. Maybe they heard it from another church, another coworker, another individual. But you're just coming along and encouraging them and continuing to urge them, you need Jesus. But then there's also people who are harvest. You know, when you're sowing seed out in a field, to just keep it real, real basic and real simple. When you're sowing seed in the field, is the fruit ready to be brought in? No, of course it's not. Uh, when you're watering, is it ready to be brought in? Well, no, not really. It's, you know, it's, still, it's still growing. But when it's harvest time, is the fruit ready? 
Yeah, so if you have, let's just say, if you have product, that is harvest, is it ready to reap? Yeah, it is. Harvest is product, fruit, that is ready right now to reap. And you know what Jesus says? He says there is a harvest. There are people right now in the Treasure Valley area that are ready to get saved. Maybe they've heard, the, the, maybe the word's been sowed in their hearts many times. Maybe it's been watered many a time. And uh, maybe all that needs to happen is that there needs to be a preacher. I think this is why Romans 10, 14 tells, tells us, how shall they call on him of whom they not, uh, whom they not believed? How shall they believe on him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so God says that there are people out there who are right now ready to be saved. You probably remember the moment, maybe remember the time when you, uh, when you got saved. Maybe Maybe some of you were in, a, were in a revival meeting service and God just put the pressure on you and you knew this was the time you asked Jesus to be your savior. Maybe you're like me. You were alone in your room and just the Holy Spirit was putting the conviction on. You knew it was the time. Hey, I didn't know it, but, um, but on that day of January 2001, whichever day of the month that was, um, I was ready to be saved. I was harvest. And I'm just so thankful that God saved me. Do you know something is oftentimes we look out at the world around us and we would say, okay, sure, there's definitely people out there who are ready to get saved, but um, Brother Matt, there's not very many. Oh no? Look back at your passage. What does Matthew chapter nine say? Jesus says, the harvest, people ready to be saved, truly is plenteous. In other words, Jesus is saying, um, folks, you do realize that there's actually a lot more people out there who are ready to be saved than you might want to say. You know, a lot of times we look, at, we look at the crowds and we think, oh, no hope. And we just say, oh, my goodness. You know, evangelizing doesn't work anymore. Door knocking doesn't work anymore. Tracks don't work anymore. Actually, Jesus said, because we say, oh, just people don't really want to hear the gospel anymore. People aren't out there who want to get saved. That's not what Jesus says. In fact, Luke chapter 10, verse number two. Again, Jesus says, the harvest truly is great. Do me this favor and turn over. I don't often have people turn uh, to a, a totally different passage, but keep your finger in Matthew 9. Turn over to John chapter 4, if you would. John chapter 4, because I want you to see a very important verse here in John chapter 4. And verse number 35, Jesus again addressing his disciples, he says to them in John chapter 4, verse number 35, say not ye, Okay, so he says, disciples, I want, there's something that you all keep saying that I want you to stop saying. Your parents ever told you, uh, I want you to stop using that word or I want you to stop using that phrase. Jesus says, here's something, disciples, I want you to stop saying. Verse number 35, say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. So he says to his disciples, I want every one of you to stop using the phrase, quote, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, um, okay, is that like 
is that bad is, what, what, what is that phrase? What that phrase was, there's four months and then come with the harvest, that phrase was a, it was a slogan. It was a colloquialism, if you like really big words, okay? It was a, a slogan. It was kind of a, um, almost like a Chinese proverb. It might be something you'd see on a fortune cookie if it was today. And uh, it was just, it was a procrastinator's slogan. In other words, if you like to put off to tomorrow what you really should have done yesterday, you know, this would be a phrase you'd say a lot. In other words, people would be spending time together and they'd say, you know, hey, you know, did you, uh, you got in your barn raised yet? I know you're supposed to, you know, put that wall, you know, fix that wall in the barn. And, uh, and the friend says, well, you know, I, I, sh- I guess I should. But, you know, you know what they say, four months and then come with the harvest. We got time. That's where they would use that phrase. In other words, if they just wanted to kind of pass things off and say, you know, I should get around to it, but, uh, you know, still four months till the harvest. I mean, they might say that at any month of the year. It doesn't necessarily mean that there was exactly four months till the harvest. It was just a phrase that, that the procrastinators would use. They'd just say, oh, we can put it off till tomorrow. And Jesus said, disciples, I want you to stop using that phrase. Why? Because verse number 35, he says, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, he says. They are white already to harvest. You know, when, when, um, uh, when wheat and grain, you know, when it's ready to be harvested, it turns into this yellowish white color. It starts off as kind of a, a much more dark, uh, dark kind of color, a darkish, I think, greenish color. But when it's ready to be reaped and it's ready to come in, it turns this yellowish white. And Jesus says, listen, the fields are white unto harvest. In other words, he's saying, listen, people, there are so many people out there who are ready to get saved. You don't even see it. And actually, if you know anything about, John, about the book of John, what's going on in John chapter 4? John chapter 4 is the chapter where Jesus meets the woman at the well. And actually, in the previous verses, he's had this conversation with her. She has booked it out of there to go get all her friends and neighbors and said, you need to come hear this one. This has got to be the Messiah. And the disciples come back from going to the grocery store. They come back and say to Jesus, you know, uh, did someone else give you food? Jesus says, boy, I got work to do that you don't even understand. And, uh, and some Bible scholars say that at the moment Jesus said, lift up your eyes, look on the fields. They're white, ready to be harvested. Some Bible scholars say that it was more than likely that he would have pointed down the road at that woman who was coming down the road with a whole crowd of people behind them. And the Bible says that, uh, that as Jesus came and spent two days there in Samaria, it says that over the course of two days, many got saved. You know, if you had asked the pious disciples, they would have said, There ain't nobody in Samaria who wants to get saved. But Jesus said, you are about as off as can be. He says, there are so many people who are ready to get saved. You know what this gives us? This gives us some hope. So oftentimes we look around at the world around us and we think people don't want to get saved anymore. People don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to take tracks. They don't want to hear. And that is a lie from the devil because Jesus says, actually, the amount of people who are ready right now, if someone would actually walk up to them and talk to them and tell them that Jesus could save them from their sins, Jesus says, there's a whole lot more of them than you realize. You know, that's encouraging. 
Because when we go out, we can realize this is that, oh my goodness, I wonder if he's harvest. I wonder if she's harvest. You know, if I give a track and they're just, you know, I'm just sowing the seed, that's fine. But Jesus says that there's a lot of harvest out there, more than we might actually realize is out there. But harvest, people who are ready right now to be saved. And folks, it is our job to go out and, and witness to them. What if Jesus, while sitting at this well, had said he was busy? So he didn't have time to talk to the woman. What if he had said he was tired? Well, because he was. What if he's gotten discouraged by lack of conversions? You know, we use those excuses all the time. I'm too busy, or I'm just tired, or uh, there don't seem to be a whole lot of people getting saved anymore. Well, guess what, folks? Jesus indicates that the number of people out there who are ready to get saved, he says there's a lot more out there than you realize. You know, when we're talking to people, uh, you know, probably one of the most fun times that I've had telling someone about the Lord is after I preached a gospel message, people have gone out of the invitation and I need to go back and do some of the counseling. You know why? Because they're ready. And it's fun, you know? They're already ready. And so they're, they're, they're ready to ask, accept Jesus as their savior. You know what God says? That out there in the world, there's a lot more people ready than you might realize. That is the opportunity of the harvest. Folks, there's hope. There is hope that people are out there who are ready to be saved and it's our job to go. So scene number two, our obligation to the harvest. What are we obligated to do? If there's such a great opportunity, what are we obligated to do? First of all, we are obligated to have compassion. Verse number 36 says that Jesus was moved with compassion. In other words, you want to see some harvest? You want to see God bring you to some people who are actually ready to get saved? He says, first of all, there needs to be some compassion in your heart. You need to see people the way Jesus saw them. Folks, it's time that the church stopped seeing people as annoyances. Some of you are like me, and when you drive... You get frustrated and you ask multiple people along the road, thankfully they can't hear you, do you even know how to drive? <laughs> you know, and uh, you know what is sad though is that that kind of filters into our Christianity and eventually we just start to see everybody as an annoyance. Don't see people as annoyances. See them as lost people who might be ready to get saved and lost people who if they die tonight will perish forever in hell. And we could have stood in the gap to have compassion and to see people not as annoyances. Don't see them as jerks. Don't see people as idiots. Hey, don't see people as opponents in politics. See them as people who are dying without a Christ that has saved them. You know, I remember an, um, uh, an evangelist telling me about, about a time when he, he, he was involved. At, at times, he's able to get involved in stuff that's going on in Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, uh, he, said, I remember, he said, I remember the day that uh, we, we were going along. We were in the different uh, parts of the, of the um, places in the, in the capital, and we were going into different um, lawmakers' offices. He says, I remember the day I went to Nancy Pelosi's office. He said, she greeted us, we, we talked with her for a little bit, we gave her a Bible, and we prayed with her. She didn't pray to get saved, but he said, we offered her a Bible, we gave her the gospel, and we prayed with her. 
You know, the most some of you can do is just put the, the cruelest meme that you can come up with and put it on the internet. Do you know that that's not going to get her one inch closer to the Lord? Now listen, folks, I'm not, necessarily, I'm not saying you have to agree with what, what she stands for. I didn't say that at all. Folks, can we not, though, see lost people as they are? Can you not have a little bit of pity on an unsaved person who knows nothing about the Lord and, by the way, is living the way a sinner is supposed to live? Sinners going to sin. That doesn't make it right that they're doing it, but I'm just going to say this. We ought to say, God help us, can we not give the gospel? You know, sometimes I wonder if the amount of sinners that are sinning out there might be a reflection on us as Christians who did not have compassion, just said, ew. Don't know if I really want to deal with them. Don't know if I really want to deal with that group. God says, you want to be, you want to see God, you should make a difference in the opportunity to harvest. Then we're obligated to have compassion as Jesus did. But we're also obligated to pray. Notice he says in verse number 38, he says, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that, notice what the prayer request is. He says that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, oftentimes, we read that, and this is not a bad application. Oftentimes, it's brought up at missions conference, right? And, um, and so oftentimes, we are urged, we need to pray that God will send forth more missionaries. By the way, that is not a wrong interpretation. That is perfectly fine application. That's good. But can, I, can we bring it home instead of conveniently using that verse to put, the, put it on missionaries to do? You know, it says, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, the Holy Spirit, that he would send forth laborers into what? That he would send laborers to the harvest, to the people who are ready to be saved. You know, why can't we pray and say, Lord, you know, if you want me to sow, if you want me to water, I'll do that. But Lord, would you lead me to harvest? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just, you know, if it's just a track passing out day, if it's just a, a smile and a quick word about the Lord, whatever, but Lord, would you send me to harvest? Would you send me to the people whose, whose will is ready, who, who you have brought along to the point of salvation that they're ready, but there's none to tell them? Would you lead me to those people? Why can't we pray that way? Why can't we pray that God would do such a great thing in our hearts? So we're obligated to have compassion. We're obligated to pray, but we're also obligated to labor. Again, verse 38, he says, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Folks, we are obligated to labor, to work. You know, oftentimes, and I think we may address this more tomorrow night, but um, our American mindset has got us to the point that we say, well, you know, there are some serious laborers who really need to get out there and be given the gospel. That would be, be Pastor Jeff and Pastor Phil because we pay them to do so. And how convenient, we use our American-made money to pass off the work of the Great Commission onto the people that we're paying to uh, be the leadership of the church. You know what that is? That is the opposite of Ephesians chapter 4. Read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 sometime, and realize that the, uh, that the, pastor, the apostles and prophets for the foundation of the church, but then the pastor, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, God gave them as gifts to the church. Why? To edify you, and to, it says to edify the body of Christ, to perfect the body of Christ. Why? Read Ephesians 4. So that the body can do the work of the ministry. 
Usually we blame it on, we tell the pastor, well, get going. We're paying you to do something. So you should be out there knocking on doors and giving the gospel and discipling and counseling and all that. Well, if you would read Ephesians 4, you'd realize that the obligation to the, to the pastoral staff is actually to help you know how to, know how to give the gospel and disciple if you don't know how. And so that you can do the work of the ministry. We have it all backwards. We think that, it, that, that they're the ones that are supposed to do it. And so Jesus says, we are obligated to be laborers as well. So then finally, you've seen the opportunity to harvest, our obligation to the harvest. See finally then our ownership of the harvest. What keeps us from, as I'm kind of saying here, owning the harvest, like taking it as our own? What keeps us from that? What keeps us from pursuing I mean, this is a great hope. I mean, the, just the reality of this, this is just great that Jesus says there's actually a lot more people out there who want to get saved and are ready than you might realize. Okay, what keeps us from getting all wound up and excited and doing a little more about that? Well, here's a few things. First of all, is uh, what keeps us from embracing the, the hope of the harvest is a failure to deal with sin. Friend, if last night God showed you something very specific that needed to change, that you needed to be broken of, and you said, you know what, God, maybe later, don't expect, I don't know why you, ex you expect God to use you to see people get saved. Because you know what you are? Uh, I like how God, um, uh, I think it would be a good idea to kind of uh, think of yourself as a, as a hose, as a pipe. As a, uh, as a channel. You know, we sing the song channels only. The reason why we use the word channel is because it sounds a little more poetic than singing pipes only. Uh, but what you are is you are a channel. You are a pipe. You're a hose. And what we want is we want the power of the Holy Spirit to flow straight through that hose, to flow through you, and to spray out all over the needy world. Problem is, you know, stuff gets in the hose and it gunks it up. Stuff gets in the pipe. And gunks it up. And then water doesn't flow through. And some of you are just like that gunked up pipe. You've got so much unconfessed sin that you won't deal with before the Lord. You won't go to your pastor to get help. And then you wonder, why is it that I just don't see people get saved? Why is it that that, that, that just seems like uh, my, my work for the lost just seems so far away? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. He says, I speak this to your shame. In other words, he says, folks, you want to know why people don't have a knowledge of God? Why people don't know more about the Lord? He says, it's because some of you need to wake up and stop sinning. So uh, failure to deal with, uh, with sin is one reason why we don't own the harvest as our own. But another thing is just simply an unfaithfulness to witness. You know what that is? That's fancy language for, if you're like me, this is where I struggle. If you're like me, you just don't open your mouth. God puts so many opportunities in our path to tell someone else about the Lord, and we just don't say anything. Friends, some of you need to be surrendered to the Lord's leading, the Lord's directing, and depend upon the Holy Spirit to enable you, to give you the power to do what you ought to do. Some of us just don't see the Lord do much. Uh, we don't seem to see harvest because we just don't open our mouths. I mean, you know, the verse says, how shall they call on him of whom they've not heard? You know, we can't just expect, oh, well, they'll, um, I guess they'll hear it somewhere. 
folks, they have to hear. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And God is, so we've got to make sure they're hearing the word of God that God could save them from their sins. Others, why don't uh, others uh, embrace and own, uh, the, own the, 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 the hope of the harvest is because of unbelief. In other words, there's just this, well, you know, I understand that, you know, Jesus says there's this great hope and that, uh, you know, there's lots of people out there who are ready to get saved, but that's not what I see. I feel like more what I see is that there's, there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of people who want to get saved anymore. You know, that's called unbelief because God said there are people. And when God says there's people ready, a lot of people ready to get saved, and you say there's not a lot of people ready to get saved, you are doubting God's word. And then, um, and you know, Hebrews 3 says that uh, the heart of unbelief, God calls it evil. Some of you are dealing with maybe a lot of unbelief of just, uh, there's no way that there's a lot of people getting saved. We just got to hang on till Jesus comes. Folks, that's not a good attitude. That is not the way to handle the rapture. But, um, uh, and that, but so there's uh, unbelief, there's an unfaithfulness to open our mouths, a failure to deal with sin. But also sometimes there's just simply an unawareness of the war. Sometimes we just take life so casually and we don't realize that Satan is an active foe, that he is actively fighting against us, that he is actively seeking to drag souls to, to hell. And so we almost act like, uh, like, like we have time. Folks, we don't have time because, you know, Harvest when it's ready to reap, you know, if someone doesn't get to it soon, it's going to fall off and die. And we forget about the fact that we have a foe, thankfully, a defeated foe, defeated at the cross and at the open tomb. You'll see that, we'll hear that so much next Sunday on Easter Sunday. And folks, he is a defeated foe, but I'll tell you what, he is seeking to assert what little authority he thinks he has and folks we are in a war and in a battle against someone who is deceiving again uh, who is deceiving the lost folks can i tell you something if uh, think i want you to just think on this if if in your life there's never like pretty much never in your life there's really never reaping maybe we should get on our faces and ask god why now, I want to be careful because saving souls is God's business. We don't save souls. God saves souls. We're the tools that God uses, though. And that's significant. And I wonder if the reason why we haven't seen reaping, maybe you haven't seen reaping in your personal life in so long, I wonder if it's because of unbelief. You didn't think there were many people out there ready to get saved. Maybe it's because you just don't open your mouth, unfaithfulness to witness. Maybe it's because you still are refusing to be broken over some sin. Folks, there is a harvest, and apparently Jesus says it's bigger than you might think it is. Well, here in, here in the valley, <laughs> Idaho, I mean... Why here? Well, folks, instead of trying to, instead of questioning why, God, instead of trying to question God and trying to prove God wrong, let's embrace the promise. Let's embrace the hope and see what God might do with us. Folks, in a post-COVID world, God says the harvest truly is plenteous. But the laborers, that's you, the laborers are few. Not the missionaries, 
you, the church body, he says, the amount of you that will go out and give the gospel is few. So pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth us laborers into his harvest. 